0: Now, from the Paxa Studios in downtown Honolulu, The Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu.
1: Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the program. I'm Bobby Curran along with Tanner Hayworth. Between us, we'll try and bring you the complete world of sports. Pros, colleges, high schools, other sporting events taking place here with guests and giveaways and, of course, your phone calls. Busy day as always in the world of sports. Let's get after it. The
0: sports stories you need to know. Here's your current events.
1: The Eastern Conference Finals begin today in Miami with the Heat favored by a point and a half. If you're a Celtics fan, not to worry. 19 experts polled by ESPN made their picks for the series, and 15 of them chose the Celtics. Marcus Smart is questionable for the Celtics in Game 1. Kyle Lowry is out for Game 1 for the Miami Heat
0: current events
1: as the golf world gathers in tulsa for the pga championship it'll be without phil mickelson who isn't ready to face fellow players or the media after his disastrous interaction with the saudi-backed live golf also two unauthorized tell all biographies will be released over the next week it's tough being phil Current events. Jack Nicholas has announced that the Saudi back Live Golf offered him a hundred million dollars to be the face of the organization. Nicholas turned it down immediately. Current events. My feeling on Jack Nicholas was it was a little jeter-like. Because Derek Jeter, I remember, was facing off. Big time reporter in New York it was a one-on-one interview, and the guy said, "Well, don't you think they should change, like the penalties, for you know, for this uh, kind of PEDs because everybody's doing it." And Jeter looked at him very pointedly and said, "Not everybody." And that was the end of that. That was Derek Jeter's final statement on the whole steroid controversy. Jack Nicholas just showed that it's not always about the Benjamins. He was not, for a guy serious, when he's turning down $100 million, but he doesn't believe it's the right thing to do, and he's not doing it. Simple as that. Interestingly, how's this for a stat? This is craziness. There have been 10 big-time events, at Southern Hills Country Club, this home of the PGA Championship in Tulsa. 10. I mean and they've been all over the place. So in terms of the they've been I'm talking about only really big time events. All 10 have been won by the 36 hole leader. I that is I've never heard of such a thing. That's crazy. And get this. Of the 10, only two have not been won by the first-round leader, Dave Stockton and Tiger Woods, the only two players who didn't lead after the first round. They did after the second, and uh, who, who didn't uh, go on. I mean, it's crazy. Where does that happen? There is no coming from behind uh, Tulsa in this at the Southern Hills Country Club. It's a it's a front runner course. So I look at the guys who tend to get out quick and think I'm thinking of myself John Rom, Scotty Scheffler. These are the kind of guys I think that usually win this tournament. It won't necessarily be one of them, but it could be. Two nine six fourteen twenty is the number. I'm finding this remarkable there seems to be this groundswell of opinion that the best team in the NBA right now is the Boston Celtics. Understandable, because they had the second-best offense after the All-Star break, the best defense in that time period in the NBA. So I get where people are coming from with that. I think, though, sometimes, its just sometimes, not always, that sometimes Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum... Have moments, certainly even extended moments in games, where they're not efficient. That just happens. They've been way better since Marcus Smart took over at the point. And they are saying that Marcus Smart is still questionable for this. Although Patrick Beverly, in his inimitable fashion, said on Get Up this morning that it's Marcus Smart, he's playing. Forget all that, he is definitely playing. I've been watching very closely the tapes of these games and uh, and clips because I got I mentioned it yesterday. I was pretty much I I got really exercised when this female reporter had said they've got to do something about flopping in the NBA. It's out of control. I I would go so far as to say the offensive fouls are out of control. There is so much lowering. I haven't seen shoulders lowered like this and people just blasted off their feet since Shaquille O'Neal played. That's the last time I can remember things this physical. I don't think you need to do anything about flopping. Flopping is its own punishment. If you don't get a call, you put yourself in a very disadvantageous position. I, I just think there's way more. I would cut back on the offensive fouls. I would start to call flagrant ones on some of the more excessive, show you know shoulder-lowering, unbelievable levels of contact. I, I kind of think I'd be more t- – I might not go there, but I'm more tempted to lean that way than I am to say, let's get more flopping calls. Craziness. 296, that is truly spoken like somebody who has never taken the brunt of that kind of offensive foul. As uh, simple as that. I hate to say it, but simple as that. 296, 1420 is the number. If you have something, we'd love to hear from you. I, I actually think this Miami series, because Miami's tough, I think this is good. Uh, Jimmy Butler is sort of the poster child, I think, for the Miami toughness. Uh, I kind of think that this is going to be an amazingly physical series. I think this Boston-Miami thing promises to be great fun to watch. We are going to carry this live, as always. It'll be 2.30 this afternoon. If you have any interest in seeing a fabulous uh, NBA series, I think started today at 2.30. Should be great. Go ahead if you have something that you want to talk about 296 1420 is the number. I'm, you know and I, again I, I'm saying I'm using a little bit of a hyperbole to go to the you know flagrant ones for the offensives. I just think I think it's out of hand and I think they are actually dangerous. I'm surprised more people haven't been seriously injured on those because a lot of times a guy he's dead he's dead set in a defensive position. You take a shot like that to the sternum, it can put you out of a game? Just very simply. So where is your big concern about flopping? I don't get it. Go ahead if you have something. Get this. Tiger Woods is practicing still. I mean, here it is, Tuesday. He's still practicing. So he is planning on playing at Southern Hills. There's no question that that's the plan. Now, whether or not... He's able to get there on Thursday morning and show up to his tee time. No one has any idea. It's. I think Tiger sort of is one of these guys. Look, you got to prepare to have a a shot. But past that, I don't know that anybody in his group knows. Is he going to be able to make it 72 holes? Clearly, at the Masters, it was painful to watch him on the final 36 because the weather had gotten lousy. It was cold. It was windy. Tiger was clearly limping. It obviously was out of gas. Now, he's had a month since then to continue to advance. And he said he's getting better by the day. So we'll see. I never had any doubt that he would play in the Open Championship at St. Andrews. But I thought that both the PGA and U.S. Open were in doubt. And here he is a month later at the PGA. Quite something. Go ahead if you have something. 296-1420 is the number. We'd be happy to take uh, your calls. I, I thought this was interesting. And the numbers were very similar. Both Golden State and the Boston Celtics are big favorites in the series, now, Boston is an underdog in this first game by a point and a half. But they are favored in the series, and then we look to the pundits. On the Boston Miami series, fifteen out of nineteen picked the Celtics to win the series. On the Golden State Dallas Mavericks series, there were they consulted 18 pundits. Fourteen of that eighteen have Golden State winning. <laughs> You, as usual, the iconoclastic Stephen A. Smith is giving you all the reasons why Dallas can win, and Dallas could win. I don't think that is cra- a crazy thought. I think the NBA is dependent enough on good offense, time, you know, controlling turnovers, getting after the backboards. There's enough vicissitudes in all that that can change the outcome of a series, especially a best of seven. So I, but I still like if someone made me pick right now despite the fact that Kendrick Perkins has said the Golden State Warriors will not go past the the previous series Uh, when they beat Memphis. He said, even if they beat Memphis, they're not going any further than that. I disagree. I think Golden State's going to the NBA Finals, and I think they'll be very much in that Finals, regardless of whether it's Boston or Miami. They may be an underdog to Boston, I think they'd be a slight favorite over Miami, is my guess if that happens to come to pass. Go ahead if you have something. Two nine six, fourteen twenty. Who are you picking in the series, Tanner?
2: Uh, in the in the West, personally, I know this is gonna probably attract a lot of controversy. I got the Mavericks. In how many? I got the Mavericks I got the Mavericks in six. Because I don't know defensively if they're better than the Phoenix Suns. I know they're a good defensive team, but the Phoenix Suns did have a lot of really great defensive guys who couldn't really handle a lot of Luka, a lot of Dinwiddie, a lot of Brunson, doing pretty much what they've been doing all year long. You're going to tell me Draymond and Andrew Wiggins are going to handle that as well as the Phoenix Suns? I think that... They have a chance. I'm not saying this is like 100%, but I like the Mavericks upsetting the Warriors here.
1: I think Draymond may be as good a defensive player as there is in the league. I mean, that's my own opinion. He's not o- not only what he does on the ball, but he's fabulous off the ball. I mean, he's sort of the quarterback of that defense and just an absolutely terrific... I think he finished second in the voting and defensive player of the year, so he's pretty good defender. I- I'm not going to say that you know he that he can't stand up to any of the Phoenix guys, and I don't I mean as Chris as Pat Bev said about Chris Paul, he can't guard anybody. He said he's a cone, he's the cone like in the cone drills, and so someone asked him, well, what does the cone do? And he goes, he goes, you mean sit still? And he goes, yes, that's what that's that's Chris Paul on defense these days. I I would agree with this. I've seen Steph Curry absolutely abuse Chris Paul. He does – Chris Paul does not do a good job of staying in front of Curry. It's almost like he can't follow that old dictate that just follow the belt buckle or where a belt buckle would be. You don't – you can't watch his hands and you can't watch his feet. But Steph Curry gets the best of Chris Paul in those matchups. And so for some – in some ways, I'm sorry that he's not there. And I also think that doesn't matter if you choose Andrew Wiggins – or Jordan Poole. I think those guys would do a heck of a job staying in front of Devin Booker. Now, you probably have heard the news of this already, that the DeAndre Ayton apparently is going to be out in Phoenix. He got benched for a bunch of this series. He only played 17 minutes in the Game 7. He's not happy. He doesn't think he gets enough touches. I have long felt DeAndre Ayton is thoroughly overrated. And depending on what, Phoenix does no intention of giving him the max contract. And they think there's four or five other teams that probably will. So with that in mind, I think that it's very likely that we're going to see DeAndre Ayton move on from the Phoenix Suns. 16 minutes past 6 o'clock. Let's take a quick timeout. Be right back on ESPN Honolulu. The Bobby Curran Show is brought to you
0: by PVT Land Company, supporting academics, athletics, and the community on the Waianae Coast.
1: Welcome back on this Tuesday edition of the program. We do start Eastern Conference Finals tonight. We already got Danos' prediction for the West. He's taking... The Dallas Mavericks in six. I've got Golden State in six. Let us uh, now move to the east where the pundits are all over the Boston Celtics. Are you in the majority on that one?
2: Well, my name must be pundit because I think I'm also going to go with the Boston Celtics here. See, I don't want to be disrespectful, but my brain is telling me Celtics in five. But that I feel like that is incredibly disrespectful to the Miami Heat. So I'll say Celtics and six out of respect for Eric Spolstra and crew.
1: Okay. The uh I have to say they were on Canty and Carlin this morning. They were uh they were going over some of the things, Tyler Hero, he's the sixth man of the year, had a great regular season, really a bounce back after a poor one last year. He was great the previous year. So they were criticizing him because he apparently made some statements, which I never saw in the in the actual time they were made. Comparing himself to some of the elite, I would say more elite uh, NBA players, he said he doesn't understand why he's not considered in the same in the same breath with uh, Trey Young, Ja Morant. I was like, whoa, Tyler Hero, you have let your ego run away with you here. You are a sixth man for a reason. Um, I just think that that's a little crazy. This is a problem with, uh, I've said this before, with young players. When you're around a lot of them, as I am, with uh, my job calling the University of Hawaii basketball games, you get to know the players. i I would say this. I would say it's almost epidemic how many players, basketball players in particular, are not as good as they think they are. When you get one who is actually better than he thinks he is, it's so rare that I remember the one guy that I would say that was true of. Kalia McGee was a a guard for the Rainbow Warriors back, I don't know, in the 90s, I want to say, or early 2000s. And he was a guy that was actually better than he thought he was. It is so unusual as to be noteworthy. Tyler Hero, though, has taken this to a new, kind of a new level in my mind. He's a nice player. He's talented. He's a good shooter. He's got good quickness. Could be a little stronger, but he's, he's a good player. But he's not John Morant. And he's not Trey Young. I don't know who else he'd put himself in conversation with, but probably some of the other guys he wouldn't belong with either. I'm just saying, he's a nice player, but slow roll that stuff. First of all, I don't think, even if you believe that, I don't know what you've done yourself any good by making a public pronouncement on it. Well, how does that help a guy? Someone's going to have to explain that to me. It doesn't seem to me to do you any good at all. It sort of puts a huge bullseye on your back because now you've got every guy that can play defense in the league thinking, I am going to shut this loud, brash fellow down right now. So I don't know that that advances your cause at all. However, I'm a little surprised that Spolster or Pat Riley... Getting wind of that might have had a little five-minute pull-you-to-the-side conversation, letting them know exactly what I'm saying. You're not helping yourself with that. What are you doing? 24 minutes past the hour if you have something. You've got a prediction. You heard uh, Tanner's. I'm with him on the Celtics, and I'll go with the six games. I am opposite of him. He got the Mavericks in six. I'm taking Golden State in six. You may have picks for the series yourself. I'd love to hear what you have to say. My guess is that it's going to be overwhelmingly Boston and Golden State because the ESPN pundits, who are probably a pretty representative sample, 14-4 and four Warriors with that group, 15-4 and four Celtics over so, which is, uh, you know, pretty convincing. These are not close. This is not like, oh, wow, that was another 9-7 type. It's not the way it's going. So, I just think when you have that many people who follow basketball for a living, that many of them are on one side or the other, it's you, you need to pay attention at least to that. Doesn't mean they'll all be always be right. But I do think the fact that you know the four, and in both cases it's four, I think, who want to celebrate the Boston's, uh, the Miami Heat or the Dallas Mavericks. But know this, they are in a serious minority. 26 minutes past. If you have something, I'd love to hear a 2-9-6-14-20. I know a lot of people are concerned that the Miami Heat might not be able to keep up scoring. With the South, they're starting to get points from a lot of places. And I think that the newly emerged Grant Williams is helping, certainly as far as the scoring goes. But it's always Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Marcus Smart's been a very serious contributor. Al Horford can suddenly take over and get you 20 points in any particular game. So you've now got, you know, five guys that can score. I kind of think beyond Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. Okay, I'll, I'll even give you Tyler Hero, even though he's only been at the 20-point mark twice in the last two series. So, But I, I would say he's capable of it. He averaged 20 in the regular season. I would expect him. To come back to something closer to that although it may be tough against the boston celtics in particular but they don't have a ton of other guys that can score they've got other good players okay vincent and strews so and they got other guys that can play but lowry's out not that he's been a big scorer anyway but he certainly is a tone setter and he's out so i i'm not really sure where the offense is coming from for the Miami Heat. I just don't think you can get away with two-and-a-half scores. And I say a half because that's what Tyler Hero's been in the first two series. I, I just think that Boston's got too much firepower. And it's not like the Celtics don't play good defense. They're right up there. They were second, I think, in the, ended up second in the NBA in the second half of the season. And I think they might be first overall. So, And they're first in net. In the net points allowed, so that's pretty damn good. So I would say if Miami has trouble scoring against more average teams, you would expect that difficulty to be compounded against the Boston Celtics. Twenty-eight minutes past the hour, we got a first guest uh, getting ready to talk a little NBA with you, Kurt Helin from NBC Sports will be up with us next. Stay here on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN Honolulu.
0: This is the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. And the Sideline Hawaii app.
1: Welcome back on this Tuesday edition. This is the start date of the Eastern Conference Finals. And uh, glad to welcome Kurt Heelan from NBC Sports. Kurt, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Bobby? I'm still trying to process what happened in Game 7 in Phoenix. I That is almost outside my experience. Someone will say, well, what about Boston? Well, they were home. They were home in a Game 7 where I think that's not as unusual as for a team to be down 46 points at one point to be down 30 at halftime at home the team with the best record in the regular season in the NBA I still can't I still don't have an adequate explanation of that
3: I'm not I'm not sure there is one I mean that was every that was a perfect storm of things going wrong it was they came out without the same energy like without they just a little bit flat compared not a little bit a lot flat compared to how uh, Dallas came out. Dallas came out fired up and executing. But you kept waiting for the f- switch to flip, right? Like, alright, well, here, Chris Paul is going to get going, or something's going to happen, and Chris Paul and Booker were bad. I mean, both of them, they were over of 11 in the first half. Nobody, you know, they don't have the role players step up. It was a... It was... I, I'm. Not, I'm with you. I'm not quite... I mean, I think it... How should I put this? I think it's a situation where it's such a perfect storm of bad that you can't really overreact as an organization, like, oh, my God, we're terrible. You're not terrible. But it also it raised questions that they've got to answer.
1: Well, I, I have a feeling we've seen the last of DeAndre Ayton in a son's uniform. That's just I, my take on that. Be just, there's a, There was things going on behind the scenes, obviously. He played 17 minutes in that game. He argued with the coach of the year. And then the other one, that, the, the thing that really,
3: at that point, I'm like, well, you know, all right, it's one of those days. But then after the game, Devin Booker's doing his interview, and, and I'm going to forget which reporter off the top of my head, essentially threw him a softball on, on, you know, hey, you guys have decisions to make, and DeAndre Ayton can be a free agent this summer and the contract there. And the standard response is always, look, he's a big part of what we do. We really want to have him back, even sure. when they're kind of iffy on the guy. Like, that's the standard. And Booker's comment was, you know, I'm worried about him. as a, I talk, I like him as a person you know, whatever's going on with his contract, that's between him and the team. And it wasn't this full-throated endorsement. And you're like, all right, yeah. interesting. Uh, it's going to be an interesting off-season with him because I got a feeling somebody's going to step up and pay it. You know, I'm not sure who. Um, it could be Toronto who's looking for a center, although I don't think so. I got a feeling maybe Detroit, maybe somebody else, uh, Oklahoma City's gotten mentioned. Somebody's going to step in with a massive contract for him, and I'm not sure... That the I, got, I just got a feeling they're going to be kind of like okay, that's fine goodbye. Like they they just I think they're I think that they're or they'll work out preferably work out a sign and trade. But I don't think that they're. I think that after getting beat by a five out team, I think that they're going to look that direction more than building around a oak a good but not great traditional center.
1: Yeah, I, that just makes a lot of sense. I kind of expect that too. Let me let me get to something that's I thought interesting I heard people try to make the comparison they said well you know listen anybody can have a game like that look at the Warriors in game five at Memphis they were down 55 I'm like whoa hold on a second the Warriors that's a completely different kettle of fish in my mind because the Warriors were up three games to one once they got down 15 I think they just said okay let's not get crazy here let's just win this at home uh, but this, there's no, there's no rationale for doing this in a game seven. It's, it's there is no tomorrow. No, you're, you're spot on. This is these are two different things. The Warriors
3: have a long history of, um, through through their championship years of playing with their food when they get ahead. Like yes. if they're if they're confident in a series, they they mess around. Um, and I think that and and hey, that's a good Grizzlies team on the rise that showed a lot of pride. I don't want to take anything away from their effort in that game, but. I it, even in Game Six, the Warriors tried to get it all back at once. Tried to get on one of those runs. Tried to do all this stuff until they got to the fourth quarter, and then like, all right, let's play basketball. Let's, let's get, get serious, serious, serious it. now. Yeah, it does seem like <laughs> they that. Down. I will say this: they can't do that next round. He cannot no, do that next round.
1: Although, here is my thought, and and you will undoubtedly have thought this uh, through more deeply than I have. I just outside of Luca. Okay, yes, you got an unbelievable 30 out of Dinwiddie, but I don't think you can count on that. I'm not sure who else is going to deliver the points, you know, 20-plus points for them for Dallas, where you can see three or four guys doing that for Golden State.
3: And Golden State's, and and, and later today we'll have a preview up, and this was actually one of the topics, was which bench steps up and helps out because – in particular, with like you said, with Dallas Warriors going back, and actually in the—I mean, going back—but also just in the first round, hey, we're going to let Jokic have his, right? We're going to let Jokic put up crazy good numbers. We're not going to let anybody else get going, and that has always been their motto of, of hey, if, if there's if the other team star puts up forty, but doesn't have many assists and nobody else gets going, we'll live with that, right? Sure. I think that that's, and, and they're going to try that with Doncic. It's not easy because he's such a good passer and such a good playmaker. But I, if they are going to need Brunson, they are going to need Dinwiddie, they're going to need Kleber, they need they, Kleber, they're going to need all these guys to just knock down shots and, and make plays and create because the Warriors are going to take that. They're, they're going to let Doncic, I don't want to say let him have his because they want to contest more and you, you can't just let him mercilessly hunt Jordan Poole every time he's on the floor. But at the end of the day, Doncic is going to get his. But if nobody else does, they'll live with that.
1: Yeah. I I was thinking if I'm Steve Kerr, who apparently will be back on the bench tomorrow night, um, if I'm Steve Kerr, I'm thinking, who do I start? I, I probably would go initially with Draymond Green on Doncic. And first of all, let me just say, I don't think it matters who's on him. He's going to score against anybody. It's who can make him work the hardest for his points.
3: In the regular season, they went with Wiggins, and my guess is that they'll start there. Um, that Draymond will get time. The hard part is again, this comes back. The Warriors switch; they are a switching defense, sure. and that allows Doncic to hunt. Um, hey, who's my who's the weakest link out there? Uh, this is where I think one of the spots they're really going to miss Gary Payton II, who yeah, uh, so still I, has the I pressure. Agree. And they will miss, and I, he might be back later in the series, but he hasn't been right. Um, you know, Andre Iguodala's, uh, what, 37 now, 38. Like, he's not quite the same guy. If you could just get 10 good minutes out of him, it would be a big help out every game. Absolutely. You, because he's got
1: the, is he definitely he's got the going to here. be able to play now? Is Iguodala's neck, oh, as far as you know, is he going to be able to at least get on the court?
3: We don't know. Okay. Uh, he is ele- Still he is up out, in the air. He, Still out for game one officially as of today. Uh, that's 24 hours away, which we, which we learned in the playoffs, doesn't mean crap.
1: <laughs> it really doesn't. <laughs> it really doesn't. That's so true.
3: So uh, yeah, it, it, it's pretty much become hockey injury. He's got a lower leg injury, and he'll be out. Then he's out there skating around. But it, it's become that. So uh,
4: allegedly, he's out.
1: Right. Because I, I agree with you. I think Peyton and Iguodala to a lesser degree because he is older. But Peyton is uh, fierce on defense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he just gives you a little something extra that a lot of guys just don't. They don't have that gear. So, And a lot of guys in the league don't. I mean, he's, he's one who does. Let, let me get to this. Uh, it seems to me that you have a lot of options so when you talk about them switching. I mean, if it's Wiggins switching with Draymond, switching with Klay Thompson, I mean, yeah. Thompson is, I think, when he's 100%, is a really good two-way player. And, again, you're not going to stop Doncic. What you hope to be able to do is disrupt him somewhat. And yeah. and I'm not yeah. sure. I mean, even Kevon Looney could take his turn. Um, I, although I think he might be a half-step slow in that one. But, you know, it's funny. You never see... The thing about Donchus that amazes me, you never see him sprinting anywhere except occasionally down court on defense. But usually he's loping. He lopes yeah. on offense. He lopes on his drives to the basket. It's amazing how he gets there and gets a shot off a lot of times to me. Yeah, he's, he does play at his own
3: pace, doesn't he? He doesn't get rushed or hurried no. by any. And it, it's, especially for a, a 23 year old player to have that i mean we pretty much came into the league that way though like i just i'm gonna play at my pace and you're not gonna shake me from it yeah um and it's really in push and that combined with you kind of forget he's six eight so he can just like he, if you switch somebody smaller onto him he can back him down he can shoot over everybody and that's partially also what gives him you know all a magic johnson kind of thing like you just when you're six eight you can see the court like yeah. you can just make passes nobody else sees
1: You know, I want to just spend a second on this one because there were guys, when he came out of Villanova, there were people saying, well, Jalen Brunson, great college player, but he's not going to be able to play and keep up in the NBA. I would say that's proven to be absolutely false. I I think Uh, that guy is an NBA player. He's physically very strong. He makes good decisions. He gets you baskets when you need them. He can get a stop. I really like the guy. In fact, I think... Dallas may have to step up to keep him. Oh, they're going to have to. It, it, his price has gone up this postseason because he started
3: going into the postseason just talking to people around the league. The kind of feeling was he's going to get starter money. He's yeah. going to get four years, $80 million, you know, and right. that, that's – you know he's going to get – that price has probably gone up. The Knicks are interested in him, although they'd have to do a sign-and-trade, and I doubt Dallas would play along. But uh, Indiana's interested. They have some cap space, some other teams. The price is going to go up, and I think Dallas keeps him. I think they realize they need to. I think they've they've figured out their system, and and he's part of it. But to do that means, yeah, forking over some money. There, he's. I'll tell you, Bobby. The guys who come out of that, out of Villanova just kind of know how to play ball. Yes, yeah, like, so I agree. Just, it, 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 he's gone now, but right. got guys to just like it was a it was an NBA style high IQ. There wasn't guys coming out where you are like you know, like Kentucky where you're like, well, that guy should be going number one and he's an insane athlete. But everybody who came out of that program just knew how to play basketball.
1: I think Jay Wright will be missed for that alone. Yeah, exactly. Let me, let me get your thought on, on how this series goes. Do you give Dallas more than a puncher's chance to win this thing? I was
3: debating with somebody this morning, um, because I've got to post this later today. Whether I'm picking Dallas in six or the Warriors in seven, I think it's that. I think it's a coin flip series. Wow. I think it's. I think it's. I think it's really even. I think Doncic creates that many problems. And the other thing we kind of sleep on with Dallas, they were a top ten defensive team, and they don't. You don't think of it because they don't like have this one lockdown guy. They don't have anybody um, as good as raymond green they don't have anybody even with the suns as good as mikhail bridges or somebody you just hey we're gonna put this guy on this guy and shut it shut him down but they're on it but they have a bunch of solid defenders and they jason kidd has them playing on a string they just don't make mistakes they rotate everywhere quickly they're smart about what they want to do they play within their system it's really smart basketball um and it's going to be interesting i phoenix could not solve it and i'm really curious how the warriors are going to handle it
1: I'm gonna be I'm gonna really be watching how Golden State takes care of the basketball. To me the big liability is there. They get cavalier with it. They turn it over more than most. And some of the turnovers are just you watch it and you're like, God, that's CYO ball. I mean, you gotta be kidding me. I mean those bounce passes length of the court that are leading somebody too much. I'm like, what is the rush? Be more patient, and if they were, they'd be a better team. They do
3: at times. Look, when they get – I think what happens is they, they have those runs where
1: – They can do no together, wrong, yeah.
3: Right, and, and everything goes right. And so they try to get to those moments, but in trying to get to those moments, you're right. They do get sloppy. They do get rushed. And, if they again, if they do that in this series, you, you if you give Dallas, who's already got Doncic in the half court, if you give them – 10, 15 easy points a game because you threw a pass away and they got a breakaway layup, you're uh, you know, you're, you're in trouble. That's just points you can't make up. So yep. they just can't afford to do it.
1: Let me get to this because I was looking today that ESPN did this thing. They grabbed a bunch of their pundits. They had 19 predicting the Boston-Miami series. Despite the fact that Miami is a point-and-a-half favorite today, 15 of 19 picked Boston for the series. In the Golden State series, 14 of 18 are picking Golden State. Does that surprise you?
3: Not terribly. I, 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 look, I think Boston's playing better than anybody right now. I think that that series against Milwaukee was the highest level of place we've seen so far. and yeah. and, and maybe... Miami might be able to rise up to that. They're very good. Um, the Warriors, the theory of the Warriors, peak Warriors are that good, but right now nobody's playing as well as Boston, um, and I, I I I like them a lot in that series. As much as I like Miami, I think Miami I think Miami can can win it, but their margin for error is very oh. small. Uh, um, they, they they need Jimmy Butler to be
1: great. Bubble yeah, bubble he can't, be, he can't be just very good. He's got to be great. He's capable
3: of it. He's been. He's he's done it this playoffs. They really could use Lowry back. They've got, and they're a team that's talk about a team that needs to get some transition points because they get they are not a great half court offense anyway. And if they get locked in, and, and Boston is a great half court defense, especially with Robert Williams back, um, that's going to be. They, they've got it. They have to create some turnovers with their defense. They have to get some points. They have to push the ball. And this is where they'll miss Lowry. Lowry pushed the ball off misses and makes like he, he'd still do the look aheads he'd push it down. Um, they've got to find a way to get some of those points. Cause I'm, I think this is going to be a great series, but man, Bobby bet the under <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> I'm know. i hearing you. <laughs> it's it's, it's going to be
1: 1990. Scores, man. I think it's going to be like Pat Riley against the Knicks, uh, yeah, you know, exactly. back in the day, you might see some of those scores, this is, I really think this should be fabulously exciting. Kurt, thanks so much. Great insights. I appreciate you. Enjoy the series. And hey, you too. Take care, Bobby. Quick time timeout. Be right back here. That's Kurt Helan from NBC Sports. We'll be right back on the Bobby Curran Show ESPN Honolulu.
0: You are listening to the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Text or call the show at 296-1420.
1: Back on this tuesday edition of the program well we've been talking about it who you favor who you don't we were we were getting away from it taking a little break there for a couple of minutes uh to talk about football stuff because we were kind of i was asking tanner okay who would you f- rather have on your roster Trey Lance or Justin Fields? I think it's an interesting question because I think, you know, the way people are making comparisons, I think when you look at skill set and the physical portion, those guys, that's like Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan. There's very little to separate those guys in terms of skill set. They both have extraordinary legs, cannon arms, I think it's about who's going to adapt, and it may come down to whose team helps them more be able to adjust. Thus far, Trey Lance winning that one in a runaway because it's pretty clear he's getting all the off-season reps because of the injury to Jimmy Garoppolo. So Trey Lance is going to get the offseason that he hasn't had until now, which should be able to advance his cause. We'll see. I'm not sure that Chicago's good enough in other places to be able to get what they need out of Justin Fields. I I think there's an issue there. I mean, I don't know that you could really argue it, that he has been given enough around him offensive line. I mean, running back probably is the exception. Receiver, for sure. We got to take this quick timeout. We'll be right back on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN, Honolulu.
0: Now, Bobby Curran on ESPN Honolulu and the Sideline Hawaii app.
1: Welcome back to our Tuesday edition of the program. Reminder that there is Eastern Conference opener for the finals in the NBA. And uh, South Beach will be hosting. Uh, the somebody said South Beach always wins. They're on. South Beach is undefeated. I don't think that's a problem in this one. I think that you have pretty dedicated people that are seeing the prize, and they both. I think both Miami and Boston think. Look, the way this has gone down. Look, nobody's got to get by Phoenix. We just got to win this series and then take care of business in the next one. And we're the NBA champions. It's probably that thought going through the heads of the Celtic and Heat players. 2 14-20. I do think that Golden State could have a say about that. I think at their very best, they're as good as any team here. But I, I just think the turnover issues have reared their head. And they've always been there, but they seem worse lately. And I think they're just going to have to get that out of the diet if they're going to win an NBA championship. Go ahead if you have something, uh, 296-1420. But we'll put you on hold because we have to get to our favorite daily feature. The Bobby Curran Show presents Buy or
0: Sell.
2: Good morning, Bobby. Let's go ahead and jump straight in to Buy or Sell today. And quick... Now, yeah, quick breaking news: As Brett McMurphy has said, has reported from FBS schedules, Hawaii is adding a home and home series with future Conference USA member Sam Houston in 2024 and 2025. They will be getting their home game first in 2024. Now, some fans who aren't very familiar with Sam Houston State might be thinking, "Oh, here we go." We got some easy wins in the future to help us with some bowl wins, right? Well, Sam let's look more into Sam Houston State, huh? They their current coach, Casey Keeler, is 80 and 23 since starting his job in 2014. And that's including another 40 wins with their last head coach 4 years prior. Oh, they also won the FCS in 2020 so this is a team that has had a lot and a lot of success the last couple of years buy or sell hawaii fans do not have the liberty to ensure a win against a pretty recent fcs champion
1: no i think you're absolutely right on that i'm buying that you the hawaii is gonna scrap for everything they get this year now here's the good part of that because I don't think anybody's delusional to think that, oh, you've got easy games here. I don't think there are any easy games this year. I think what you need to do is build for the future. Because right now, I mean, I'm just going to be honest about this. Hawaii's not ready to play in Michigan. That's outrageous. So I think Sam Houston State is, is going to be a challenge. I mean, let's face it. That's, they got good football players. And plus, they're from Texas. Texas. Where you get a ton of good football players that aren't, you know, they might be two stars or developing three stars. Doesn't mean they're not going to be good players. Buy Buy,
2: buy, buy. or sell. Sell, sell, sell. Of course, us in Hawaii know a lot about Texas the last two years of Hawaii football. But to jump on the NBA, it's been reported that new Lakers head coaches are allegedly being asked, hey, how are we going to use Russell Westbrook to maximum efficiency when you're the head coach? Which probably the head coaches then ask, we're going to keep Russell Westbrook? Now, whether or not these rumors are true or not, having the idea of Russell Westbrook staying in LA doesn't seem too plausible due to him kind of being a huge hit on your cap, especially for this year. And him not really bringing much to the table if you looked at last year's stats. No. So, buy or sell, Lakers fans, get ready for one last year of Russell Westbrook.
1: I, uh, I would make every effort, even if I had to eat half the salary to move him along. I just think it's disruptive now because Russell Westbrook has not accepted the fact that he's not who he was we got a couple guys in the NBA, that's true. If I put James Harden in that category, look, you're not who you used to be. You've got to figure out a way uh, to m- contribute without being a pain in the you know where. So are he is he there yet? I don't think so. I'm not sure. If you made me guess, I'm going to say he's not going to be there on opening day. Buy, 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 buy. or sell? Sell, sell, sell?
2: And in a surprising move of... Maturity from Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving admits that if he were mature, more mature during his last couple of years in Cleveland, he thinks that he and LeBron would have won more championships. Of course, when we look back to the end of his time in Cleveland, he wanted to be off the team the year prior LeBron left Cleveland because he wanted to be out of LeBron's shadow. Of course, that was everyone was when everyone was being like oh Kyrie how is how is LeBron prayed a paternal figure in your time here in Cleveland and so a lot of those kind of questions through social media and reporters probably egged him on to be kind of negative towards LeBron so looking back to quote him we definitely would have won more championships buy or sell right on the money but hey Let's be more mature now, huh?
1: Well, you you could ask the question because he had that stint after that in Boston, which did not go well. And now the most recent one in Brooklyn, which I would have to say ends in disappointment. I'm not really sure that. I mean, Kyrie may be maturing somewhat. I think he's a work in progress. I don't think it's there yet. Buy, 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 buy or sell. Sell, sell,
2: sell, and that is today's buy or sell on ESPN Honolulu.
1: We have a couple of things uh, to talk about, and I think the question now is, I um, I'm looking at a monitor. I don't, I can't hear what he's saying, but I'm looking at a monitor where Tiger Woods is addressing the media at Southern Hills Country Club. I'm assuming because all the indications were that he is ready to play, that he believes he can get through 72 holes, that he thinks he'll be better equipped at Southern Hills than he was at Augusta to be able to play four rounds of 18 holes each. And now here's the deal. Southern Hills is no day at the beach. It's not Augusta in terms of the hills and the up and downs, but there's not as many side hill lies at Southern Hills, which is a good thing. But it's not an easy walk. So that's the first thing. Is Tiger going to be able to manage his way around? That's the first order of business. It looks like, and according to the things Tiger has said, even in the past week in just offhand comments, he feels like he is better equipped than he was at Augusta. But, and, you know, he still maintains this thing. And this is Tiger. I don't take it too seriously because I think he means it. But when he says that he, but he wouldn't play in any tournament, he doesn't think he can win. Now, that may well be true. That's Tiger. But does anyone else think he could win this tournament? My answer would probably be relatively small number would think that. Now, here's the deal. They're going to be playing where? I think it's Brookline is the U.S. Open. And then... Then the last major of the year will be at St. Andrews. And St. Andrews is a course that sets up for Tiger. He's won there twice. He's won two open championships there. He, he can handle that course. It's not crazy long. And you get a ton of that very typical British course where the ball is just You're just hitting it down and watching it run. There's a ton of those kinds of holes at St. Andrews. I actually think that might be a place where he could – I could imagine – let's put it this way. not saying he's going to win. I could imagine him being in contention there. I don't think it's as unreasonable there as it would be, say, this week at Southern Hills. Just saying. 296-1420, if you have something – uh, go ahead and give it to us. We, I'm interested in it. There's going to be, and Tanner, I'm sure you would agree with this because we see it every year. There's going to be an, a couple of NFL teams that are going to start fast and get out to really good beginnings. And sometimes those teams manage to make a season out of it. I mean, they can hold on, make the playoffs. Teams that you really aren't thinking of right now. Let's just... Let's just put ourselves in that mode, and I'll ask you to come up with one, and I'll come up with one. Who might be showing up, who we kind of don't think of as one of those teams right now?
2: I got the New Orleans Saints. They've been having a really great off season, and not a lot of people are talking about them. I think the most talk they've gotten is that Drew Brees is, like, iffy on what he's going to do. Like, maybe come back? Like, maybe come back? I don't think he should come back. I don't know I don't if he's either. the same. He wasn't the same quarterback in his last season that he was two years before that point. But I think the New Orleans Saints, they got Kamara. We know that. They have a okay to above-average offensive line. They do lose Armstead, which is a big loss. But injuries-wise, that probably, you know, tones it down a little bit for the New Orleans Saints. But they just signed Jarvis Landry. They're hoping to see... Maybe we get Michael Thomas. Maybe they get Michael Thomas back alongside drafting Olave. So now that's three new receivers. Yeah, Those are three receivers that didn't play last year. And in the first half of the season, when Jameis beat a uh, pre-ACL tear for Jameis Winston, the New Orleans Saints were good. They were surprisingly good on offense. Uh, flashback to week one against the Green Bay Packers, where we all thought, is Aaron Rodgers done? Is this Did the offseason catch That's up right. to him? But no, it was the Saints just doing a really great job. And that defense, sure, they're getting older, but you're still seeing solid production from Marshawn Lattimore, from Cameron Jordan. I think Demario Davis still exists. It kind of feels like the three there are three things that are certain in life, death taxes and Demario Davis for the New Orleans Saints, who... I have no idea how old he is because I remember watching him when he was on the Jets like a long time ago. So he's still getting out pretty great production. So I think the Saints are going to surprise a lot of people. Are they going to win the NFC South? No, but I think they are going to be heavy in the conversation for the top two wildcard spots.
1: All right. I I think that that's legit. I think New Orleans is not going to have – I can't imagine Carolina – for example, or Atlanta, either one of them is going to be terribly competitive. So I think they have really one team to chase, and that's Tampa Bay, and they've always done well again in recent years. Look at regular season. They've done well against, against Tampa. Let's. I'm going to go with the Denver Broncos, and I don't think that's a crazy pick because I just have a feeling more recently – I didn't think so at first, but I think Russell Wilson is going to show up with an attitude. I think he really believes he was slighted in Seattle. I think you might see the best version of Russell Wilson there, and they're not without talent on that team. I think people who look at that roster—here's my question to you about New Orleans, though. How much of a difference does it mean or make with no Sean Payton? That is that a big factor? I think that could be a factor because he had such control over that team, more so than most head coaches. I think what I wonder, and I'm not convinced that it's going to make all the difference in the world, but it could. It could make a big difference.
2: I think it's definitely going to be a difference. This is a guy that, you know, pretty much shaped New Orleans Saints football. Since he got there, they won them. He won them a Super Bowl. With Drew Brees, and they're going to have to make do with their new offense. I will say put quotes on new offensive coordinator Pete Carmichael, who's been in the system, the New Orleans system, for a while under Sean Payton, much like new head coach Dennis Allen, their old DC, who was there for a couple of years. And look, we I don't know if many people remember the Dennis Allen days of... uh. With the Oakland Raiders. I think he was there for a year.
1: Before he got canned.
2: But that's like most Oakland teams, though, so so I won't put too much blame on. on that one for Dennis Allen. I think the Saints are going to be punching up a lot this year, and I think when you're working under adversity, that's usually when you see a lot of really good football. And You might.
1: I, I think that I think New Orleans is a very reasonable choice there. Let, let's go do this. Let's take a timeout. It's 15 minutes past seven o'clock. We'll take this timeout, be right back on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN Honolulu. Follow us
0: on Twitter at Bobby Curran Show. This is ESPN Honolulu and the Sideline Hawaii app.
1: 20 minutes past 7 o'clock, Tiger Woods still speaking to the assemblage at Southern Hills Country Club in preparation for Thursday's start. So he's still got a day and a half. Now, he could, could he change his mind? Yes. I just think when you see Tiger kind of dressed up, ready to go, he was. we saw him on the range earlier today, I think it's very unlikely unlike, that he's going to withdraw at this point. I just I'm th- I'm thinking he's probably good to go, and we if we find out otherwise, obviously you'll be the first to know. We're going to uh, we're going to have some golf people on. I'm just I'm addicted to this when you get near a major, and uh, tomorrow we're going to have Greg Nichols, who is the general manager and director of golf at Coalina. He actually is uh, very close friends with a couple of guys on tour. In fact, one of his best friends in the world is Paul Aziger, who has a good television gig these days. We're going to talk with him about Phil Mickelson. How important is the absence of Mickelson? Is it going to affect the world of golf? I think there's an interesting question there. There are people that say, you know what, a sincere apology. Maybe when you come back, maybe it's the U.S. Open, that he will then be forgiven. I I don't know. Maybe that's true. There are some people that seem like they just wish Phil Mickelson would go damn away. I mean, I I just think Mickelson has had a little trouble controlling the things he says. This is not new. This has gone on for quite a while. So we'll see. We're going to find out. But I do think that all indications are that Tiger Woods will play at Southern Hills. Now, listen, he's not going to be anybody's favorite here. That's for sure. I, I think there's a couple of guys Justin Thomas, John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, some of these guys who are front runners. They're guys that get out quickly. And that getting out quickly, apparently, is the key at Southern Hills. No one has ever won a big tournament there who hasn't been leading after 36. Every 36 hole leader has won. How's that? And two guys have, and Tiger Woods is one of them, have won when they are leading after the first round. Just wire the field, crazy. Two nine six fourteen twenty. And I, I, heard Jim Nance asking on a press conference where he goes, "What is that? How? Why is it like a, that course and not like any other one we can think of?" Good question. I don't know the answer. Two nine six fourteen twenty is the number. Go ahead if you have something here. And uh, we got, of course, BMW of Honolulu is sponsor, sponsoring this PGA Championship locally. So just want to acknowledge them for their, uh, for their participation and sponsorship. Tiger Woods still talking. I don't know how long he's been up there because we have a split screen that I'm just checking out. I can't hear anything. But I'm just saying, how long is Tiger Woods going to go on? Obviously, the assembled media, uh, Tiger used to just die to get off of these things but i think as he's gotten kind of older he's a little kinder and gentler soul and he is more willing to take the time and answer the media's questions and he sort of has finally understood that he might be an elder statesman in terms of golf but he's still of key interest to almost everybody that follows this closely and that's not going to change anytime soon I mean, all, all he's got to do is continue to make cuts. By the way, in his career, he's made 17 of 21 cuts at the BGA Championship. That's a pretty unbelievable record. Go ahead if you have something. 296-1420 uh, is the number. We're also going to have a Shane McNichols, and we'll have him in a little while. We're going to talk with him about the upcoming NBA draft. Who do these teams want? I got to tell you something. I get that Chet Holmgren, who is the big guy at Gonzaga. I get that he's incredibly skilled, extremely highly sought after. He, he well could be end up as the number one pick in this draft. He he's got to be, at seven feet, he's got to be about a buck ninety five. At least that's what it looks like. He's so skinny. I mean, we've had a couple of guys over the years that I just thought were too skinny to play in the league. And in several cases, I was just flat wrong. They have managed somehow. And even though you're thinking, well, that guy's going to get beat up because how's he supposed to, against some of these bigger guys, like an Andre Drummond is just one example of him. Nothing special about Andre Drummond, right? But I'm telling you, compared to Chet Holmgren, He's like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm just thinking, how is Holm going to handle that? How is he going to hold his position? I think it's interesting, and Shane McNichol will attempt to answer some of our questions about this upcoming NBA draft. It's 26 minutes past. 296-1420 is the number. You might have a question. Uh, We'll be happy to pass yours on. To Shane McNichol uh, as well, who is sort of a draft, uh, NBA draft expert. Uh, so he'll be, uh, I'll tell you the guy I really like. I watch this. Duke's got a couple of really good players, but Paolo Bonquero, I just thought Boncaro looked really good this year. He's The guy is has a diversified game. He can shoot it. He can drive. He can post up. He just seems to have a very uh elaborate skill set that i think is going to really help him in the nba hard to me to imagine now how that wouldn't put him in good stead and uh, go ahead if you have something 296 1420 they're having by the way the draft lottery uh, or revealing the draft lottery tonight so on the uh, i i assume that's during the first game Uh, and the first game of the conference finals tonight. Go ahead if you have something. Um, It's 27 minutes past the hour. Let's do this. Let's take the quick timeout. We'll be right back around the bend on the Bobby Curran Show ESPN, Honolulu.
0: The Bobby Curran Show is brought to you by Dr. Charles Arakaki at Ohana Men's Clinic. Visit drcharlesarakaki.com. 7.31
1: 7.31 on this Tuesday, and I suppose appropriate that we have our next guest today because they are going to release the draft order tonight uh, for the upcoming NBA uh, draft of college players and, and, and others, and uh, let's welcome Shane McNichol. He is uh, covers this NBA draft for palestraback.com and Larry Brown Sports. Hey, Shane, how are you? Doing great, Bobby. It's good. It's good to talk with you. I I have this question because I've been following since his recruitment by Gonzaga, uh, Chet Holmgren, who is seemingly number one on a lot of people's boards. I don't think he would go lower than three, under almost any circumstances. He's a seven footer. I don't know what they list him at. He looks to me like he goes about a buck ninety. He is incredibly, he's very skilled, but he's incredibly skinny. Is there any reason to have doubts about how he holds up in the NBA?
5: I, I certainly
4: have those doubts. Um, I think that if you're a Chet Holmgren believer, you look back at some of the other big men that have gone in the top three, three to five of the draft and see how, how, slender some of them were. I mean, Evan Mobley's not, not a very thick guy, and he was almost rookie of the year before he got hurt. Yeah. Um, I mean, Joel, Joel Embiid at Kansas was not the Joel Embiid that we see before us today. Giannis Antetokounmpo was obviously not a high draft pick, but a very, very thin player when he came into the NBA at a, at a very young age. Anthony Davis in high school and at Kentucky was much thinner than, he, than what he's filled out to be now. But I, I I think compared to all of them, what we've seen from Holmgren's frame is – the 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 most uh slight a frame um and i I certainly think any nba team that's going to draft him in the top three has to project him out to see that you know their doctors and their their strength and conditioning staff i would assume are bringing him in and and seeing if they think that he can add 40 to 50 pounds realistically um i think he can play in the nba as a much thinner player um but i think if he's not gaining 30 or 40 pounds after his first two or three years, he's likely going to be more of that stretch for out uh, perimeter player yeah. than a factor on the interior. And that's not what you're looking for from a seven footer. You're picking in the top three of the draft. So I think for him to be the kind of player that people want him to blossom into for him to become a defensive player of the year candidate and things like that, I, I, he certainly has the shot blocking ability. He certainly has the basketball mind for it. He, He's going to be a good enough shooter to, to make the other team center come out and guard him. He handles the ball incredibly well for a player his size. But at the end of the day, if, if if defense is where he's going to hang his hat, he needs to be able to guard bigger centers, and he's not going to be able to do that yet. I think he hung around with some of the bigger centers that he, that he had to guard this season, but he's not he he's not going to face a grown man until he gets into the NBA. He's not going to face, like I said, a Joel Embiid or Giannis um, who can. Put, put their shoulder into his chest and back them up. So for, for me, knowing that you, you're drafting someone for their rookie contract and hopefully a, an extension after that, I would hope that by the time he's in year three, year four, year five, he, he's added a significant amount of weight, something like 40 or 50 pounds.
1: I just and I don't think you're some people would listen to what you're saying now and think oh he's exaggerating. I I think not at all. I think 40 or 50 pounds is abs- and that might be a minimum because even that would only get him to 240-250. And it's 7 yeah, feet. I I- That's not like, you know, you're not pushing the envelope there. I remember, I don't know if no, you, you all yeah. remember this player, but uh, I want to say Tayshawn Prince was one of the leanest guys I saw come in. He wasn't a center. But watching him come into the league, I said, there's no way this guy can play. I think he played about 11 or 12 years. <laughs> Obviously, some guys can play really lean. But I just yeah, don't, rec- your, don't recommend it. Yeah. I don't recommend it for a post player. I mean, exactly. I just think the they're so physical nowadays. I There was a female reporter on the other day, not, and I'm not picking on her. It's only because she her big complaint is that the flopping in the NBA, she thinks, is out of hand. I would say what's out of hand is the lowering the shoulder and blasting people in the sternum. I mean, so hard that I'm amazed... I think when that happens to it, if that happens, like I've been watching to a Chet Holmgren, I'm not sure he's getting up on his own.
4: I mean, that's one of the biggest problems with officiating at all levels of basketball now is flopping is flopping is, is rewarded because aggressive offensive movements aren't call aren't called as fouls unless you fall over. Yeah. It, Giannis or Embiid or, or or Jokic or whoever, whichever big guy you want to say, LeBron does it all the time. puts their head down and drives to the rim. If they're moving the defensive player with it with a direct shot and a low shoulder, it should be an offense about whether or not the guy falls over or not. Yes, now, Homer, I think Homer, I think is really interesting because he he didn't he certainly doesn't take charge. he is a shot blocker, and I, I am going to be absolutely fascinated to see how how he translates that at the next level. I think for for now, until we see that that body development, I think we're going to see him. Coming off the bench as a rookie, um, I would be surprised to see him starting against some of the NBA's best centers or guarding power forwards or, or even or even small forwards, and that's not going to help you because that takes away his best skill, which is his shot
1: block. Sure. Let me get to this because a couple of guys, Jabari Smith from Auburn seems to be extremely highly ranked. The guy who I've seen more of, and I have to say I love the diversity in his game, is Paolo Bonquero from Duke.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I
1: think Palo came into
4: the year as the top draft, uh, the, the, the top draft prospect for most people. Um, him and him and Holmgren maybe one two, um, and I think a lot of people started to nitpick a little bit on on, on Bay Carroll's Carrow's game. Whereas I, I, I certainly didn't see anything to move him off of those those top one yeah, or two spots. I think he, I think he's a really good passer. If you want to talk about someone who already has an NBA body, it's him. If you're if if, if they're if a the team at the top of the draft like the Houston Rockets gets the first pick, I certainly wouldn't mind them taking Chef Homer because they are in a long rebuild. But if a team that is thinking playoffs next year or even just getting into the play-in game or something like that, I, I don't see how they don't jump it at a player like Paolo Banchero because he has the offensive game to, to, right now to to lead an offense in, in the NBA, and he's big enough to, to guard three three different positions probably in the NBA. So he's still the top guy on my board based on what I saw him do at Duke this year.
1: You know, the thing I love about him is he doesn't back off from contact, either on offense or defense. He will take it right at somebody and he's a good enough shooter to keep you honest. I mean, he he's got an NBA jump shot now. Absolutely. Yeah, and
4: I, and I think he's he's a, he's a better passer than people are going to give him credit for. He's a very good rebounder and I think he, he he's a good thinker of the basketball game. He is he he understands where to be. And how best to use his skills, which I think is not something you can say for everyone that has his body and his skill.
1: We are talking a little uh, NBA, upcoming uh, NBA draft with Shane uh, McNichol, PalestraBack.com, and Larry Brown Sports. Let me get to the guard position. Uh, really quick, because the first three guys are all, you know, some level of big. I mean, power forwards or bigger. Let Let me get to the guards. Is there a point guard that you think is a must have in this draft?
4: Point guard, I would say probably not, unless you consider Jaden Ivey from Purdue a point guard. Okay. I we think he'll he'll. He'll, he'll be the lead playmaker for a team in, in a certain way, but I don't know that I necessarily think of him as a traditional point guard. He's a little taller and everything like that. If, you, if you're if you going down to the next, to, to the, the smaller guys, the actual point guards, I mean, then you're starting to talk about maybe Ty Ty Washington from, from Kentucky or um, Kennedy Chandler from Tennessee. I, I, I don't necessarily see either of those guys as, starting point guard right away, that kind of thing. I, I, I think they're probably more late lottery, if not into the 20s type, type of player. So sure. um, I do think there, there are some really, really talented guards. I, and I, I think I, Jaden Ivey from Purdue is the class of those guards um, on both ends of the floor, both offensively and defensively.
1: And and as far as the two guys, is there a Devin Booker in this class? That's an interesting question. I, I, I think um, – Someone
4: that I might compare to Devin Booker would be Benedict Matherin from from Arizona.
5: Um,
4: Kind of of a a forgotten player out on the West Coast. Um, Came in as a sophomore this year and led that Arizona team that for a while had championship aspirations, and he was their best player. Super talented, super athletic. Um, I think at times he didn't really fit in with the other players around him, but if you told me the right coach got their hands on him in the NBA and turned him into you know, all-star, MVP candidate, All-NBA type guy, I'm not surprised at all at
1: that. Well, that's really interesting. I think it's harder and harder. I want to go back a couple of years because a guy that I loved in college, and he just never got a lot of traction, it seemed like, from the NBA, yet he's turned into a really solid pro, is Peyton Pritchard, the Celtics' backup point guard. I love his game. Yeah, absolutely, and I think...
4: think Every year we kind of see those, those types of players of, like, you know, he played four years at Oregon, and people st- almost there's almost too much tape on, on a player like that where people start to talk themselves out of it. He should have come earlier. He, he's not athletic enough. And then you see players like him. I know uh, T.J. McConnell was that kind of player. Yes. So these guys who just come in, and, and they make positive impact in an NBA game. You know, Someone who, who I would point to in this class that would be similar would be Christian Brown from, from Kansas. Um, yeah I think a yeah. lot of people are, are, are starting to look at his teammate, Oshai Baji as, as, as a lottery pick. But Brown's younger. I, I think he's arguably more athletic. He's just as good as a shooter. I, I, I think there's going to be a team that picks him in, in the late 20s or, God, even the second round. And gets an absolute – like, you tell me two, three years from now, I'm watching the conference, the conference finals, the NBA finals, and he's coming off the bench and scoring points and, and making the right decisions. I'm not, I'm not surprised at all.
1: You know I, I hear you one of the, another guy that we left out of the conversation you talked about TJ McConnell and, and Peyton Pritchard but I I wouldn't say that the Dallas Mavericks backup guy I you know a lot of people out of Villanova weren't talking about Jalen Brunson as a pro they were saying good college player I think he's proven that he's a pretty good pro yeah absolutely
4: and I think his skills were so interesting. That, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, a, a basketball player is a basketball player. And I think so many more teams are finding that level of talent in the 20s and in the second round. That You're even seeing teams, I, I, think, I think some teams, put less value into trading down and all those kinds of things. I, I think it's something Celtics did several times in, in acquiring Pritchard and other players like that um, because they know that there are really, really good values in, in that 25 to 35 range in
1: the draft. Well, I think Peyton Pritchard is going to be around the Celtics for a long time. I mean, he's, this is a guy, he is very useful who gets in front of people on defense. He, he gets into passing lanes. So he's disruptive. He can knock down shots and he doesn't make a ton of mistakes with the ball. Yeah, absolutely. And I think,
4: I think we saw a lot of that when he was in Oregon too. I mean, as, as soon as his, his freshman year, I believe was when they went to the, to the final four. Um, so I, I for me, that, that those are the kinds of players that I think teams need to be valuing more, especially, especially later in the draft because later in the draft you can certainly take a swing, but so few times are you, are you finding a guy with the high upside to actually become a star at that point that um, finding useful role players is, is a much easier proposition at that point in the draft.
1: We're, we're talking uh, right now with Shane McNichols from Palestra Back and Lowry Brown Sports. Let me get to this. Is there a guy that you think is moving up on draft boards that might end up going, say, top 15, who really wasn't considered that until recently? You know, someone who I think
4: moved up a lot later in the year was Jeremy Sohan from from Baylor. Um, before Baylor's starting center, Jonathan Chamalchotua, got injured, Sohan was kind of coming in and playing kind of the utility role in he he people keeping an eye on him. He's kind of got the Dennis Rodman thing with a different hair color every, every game. Right. Um, but then once, once Charlotte and Sean got injured, we saw Sohan playing center minutes. He was playing in a small ball center. He was playing the four. He, he was stepping out and making some shots. He was playing a really high energy where, I mean, a Dennis Rodman comparison started to make sense some games where he really, he, he brought an energy to a game that you don't typically see from a freshman. Um, at the college level, and I think he, he's what sparked that Baylor team into, into earning that number one seed in, in the NCAA tournament. Um, I, I think he's starting to creep up, and people see him as a lottery talent now because they see how versatile he can be. I think you can really talk yourself into putting him in the kind of role that the Warriors have used Draymond Green for years. You know, he, he can be your switching defense, play whatever, do whatever kind of guy – and if you're a team that, that envisions yourself being a playoff team some team sometime down the road, you need to have a play like
1: that. Well, this is going to be every year is fascinating because there's going to be somebody who's going to be a major contributor as soon as next season. It happens every year. I don't think this one will be an exception. Shane, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Appreciate it. Shane McNichol from PalestraBack.com and also. Larry Brown Sports. We've got to take a quick time out. We'll be right back on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN Honolulu.
0: You are listening to the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Text or call the show at 296-1420.
1: Welcome back on this uh, Tuesday edition, an interesting conversation with Shane McNichol. I don't know what you've seen when you see Chet Holmgren, but when I first saw him for Gonzaga this year, I'm like, are they kidding? This guy's so skinny. Now, I agree with all of the other evaluations. Really good handler of the ball. I guess he grew late and was playing guard a lot of the time. So he has that. He's also a good shot blocker. His timing's good. But I just worry about a guy getting in a league with people like the Joker, with Joel Embiid, even like you have to go up against an Andre Drummond. Those guys are grown-ass men. I just think that's going to be a tough sled for Chad Holmgren. Do you, do you have any concerns that way? Do you think he's going to have his hands full?
2: I think most rookies always had to deal with that initial, oh, I got to build up some muscle, especially if they're only, like, what, 19? But like you all, like you and what uh, Shane have already said enough in the last segment, dude's a stick bug. Dude is slim from a bug's life. Yes, he is. So I think that's going to be the first priority. But think of another guy who came in, you know, Came in really young, really slim, lean. Build up some muscle, and then he became the greatest player in today's NBA. In Giannis, sure he's not Giannis, obviously, but there is a path to building muscle for Chat for Chet Holmgren. He may not have the you know muscle build. Of no, the Nigerian-born th- Giannis Antetokounmpo. Kumpa, well, there
1: are some guys. Think of how Shaq came into the NBA.
2: Well, Shaq was also, he came in, what, at 20 or 21?
1: Yeah, 20, and he, but he was a man already. I mean, no, there was Nobody was. No one ever said about Shaquille O'Neal. Oh, I hope he's okay because he's going to get bounced around. He did the bouncing.
2: I think that Shaquille O'Neal needs to build some muscle oh on his bones. Oh my God! A common was, criticism we heard of Shaq, right?
1: He was just a man.
2: But, I, mean, that's I it. mean, it's a different NBA today too. We see the uh, what we see the uh, importance of shooting for these big men, like you mentioned. Jokic, MB, they all shoot threes they and they're shoot, the most yeah. successful centers in the NBA. Well, the
1: old post up center is just gone. It's gone the way of the dinosaur. You don't see a guy making an exclusive living as a post up center.
2: And if Chet Holmgren makes that commitment to playing center, I think that's what he should do. Because we've seen tall he can guys. Shoot it. He can shoot it. And we've seen tall guys who are not necessarily built to play center, but they're tall enough to play it, say, no, I'd rather play power forward. And we could see that with Kristaps Porzingis, who I think would have been more effective if he built up something to become a shot blocker down down in the post. Or even even Anthony Davis, who prefers to play power forward over center, even though he would be much more valuable to the Whoa. Lakers. If he played more center. Take
1: a guy who wasn't a star, but Christian Leitner, who played as a power forward, and he made, I, I think I saw that his career earnings were like 40-something million. I'm like, well, that wasn't too shabby. He did okay. And,
2: he had an all-star uh, year once, yeah, I'm pretty sure.
1: I think you can play... You know, you can make the choice, and a lot of it depends on what team you go to, because some people would have – he was 6'11". A lot of guys would have thrown Christian later into the post, and he said, no, nah, I'm, I'm really much better uh, a little bit out on the wing. And, and he was right. That's where he belonged. So I, I do think there's, there's room for discussion with a lot of guys.
2: But the most important thing is whatever team is going to pick Chet, if he's going to be – your guy, commit to that. Have an idea of what you're gonna you what you're gonna do with him before you pick him, and I think, don't go into it with thinking, "Oh, we'll just take this guy, and I guess we could just do whatever he wants." I, I think, think you got. Guy, yeah. I
1: think Shane McNichol addressed on him. He said, "Maybe for the Houston Rockets because they're so far away, that there is a place where you could get the guy in and strength training and muscle addition, and just get." meat on his bones. You'd have three years to do that before the Houston Rockets are gonna be competitive, I he, think is fair.
2: He should go to New Orleans. Then that'll like oh, take do, an issue from pro, Zion. Every time pro. every time Zion gets food, you take three quarters of it and give it a chat.
1: That's so funny. I mean Zion cause Zion wasn't having any problem putting on weight.
2: Although they have that issue with Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson should eat with each other more often. Right. And so they make sure that Brandon Ingram gets, gets some food. two-thirds of the plane. And then Zion doesn't get enough.
1: Oh, that's funny. Um, yeah, maybe Chet Holmgren would be the perfect matchup with Zion. Except you know, the problem is with guys like Chet Holmgren, they're giving the food away. And that does, you couldn't stand to have that because Zion doesn't need any more than his portion. Oh, that's funny. Two nine six fourteen twenty. If you have something, uh, go ahead and and light it up. You know, it's funny depending on the sport you play. Because I can remember them trying to put weight on my brother. Was a very good football player, and he was six foot four, and he never, never got any heavier than two thirty five. But they were trying. In high school, for example, he got sick right before he went to Duke. And he'd gotten up to 222, and then he got, like, the flu, and he shows up at Duke, and he's 217 at six foot four, He's supposed to be playing defensive end. You can imagine how tough his freshman year was. But I'm saying there are sports where, depending on your position, if you're an offensive lineman and you're 285, and the, you're going to the NFL, they want weight on you. You better not show up at 285 and because they, they feel like you're a little light in the butt, as the coaches like to say. So, you know, they want a guy being... Nobody was complaining, by the way, about Evan Neal being 348. Now, he's 6'7", and they said, yeah, he can play at 360 to 370. Can you imagine? I mean, that was like... I remember when I was a kid, you know, even in first year of college and, and starting to notice what guys weighed on the in the NFL. Well, oh, three hundred pound lineman was big. Now you're a little guy at three hundred pounds. They just, you know,
2: the thing has changed so entirely. Well, to be fair, Evan Neal at three forty looks like a 6'2 guy at, like, two, two, 220. Yeah, he does, absolutely. He does I not agree. look his weight at all. He doesn't
1: have that sloppy, big, you know, offensive line thing that many guys have. Like, Even th- guys in the draft have that.
2: Like, I think he was at the Combine where he was just wearing the Combine shirt because he wasn't, he wasn't doing the Combine workout. Mm. And the he had the glasses on. He looked like an assistant coach.
1: That's, <laughs> that's funny. Because I, you know, now will that serve him well, or, or will the Giants get a hold of him and say, "Listen, you can carry more." I, I kind of think if a guy's a tackle, I want him to be
2: quick. The issue then is, if you look at Mackay Me- uh, Becton for the Jets, who is on the heavier side, I think he's got his weight down to around three sixty-three seventy because he was out with uh, a broken was, was leg. Wasn't
1: he four hundred at one point? That that's what
2: that's what people report. Right. That that, that hasn't necessarily been proven if that was correct or not.
1: I'll tell you what, the guy I worry about, I mean, we're switching back and forth with sports, but I don't know what they're saying Zion is, but Zion's a big fella. I'm just going to say that. He is one big dude. If he's not 300 pounds, I'll eat my hat in Macy's window. We'll be right back on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN, Honolulu.
0: Now, Bobby Curran on ESPN Honolulu and the Sideline Hawaii app.
1: Welcome back on this Tuesday edition of the program. A lot of things that we're going to talk about uh, today. And I, you know... I've been listening to a lot of that because guys say it all the time. All right, The two guys like these this uh, Carlin and Canty in the morning on ESPN. Now, I had to listen to this Chris Carlin rant about how Joel Embiid is the MVP. Yesterday he's saying, well, the best player in the world is Giannis Antetokounmpo. I'm like, well, hold on a second. I thought it was Joel Embiid that was your MVP. I guess he's making some kind of distinction that Uh, that I wouldn't probably understand with that one. But now I'm hearing people say the best offensive player in the NBA is Luka Doncic. Um, Maybe. I I don't—I think he's—I would say this. I think he's in the conversation, which is amazing when we're talking about a 23-year-old. He is in the conversation as the best offensive player. I don't know that he's there, but he's close. Where would you be on that, Tanner? I, I would say, yes, that Luka Doncic is close. Here's the other thing about Doncic that's different from most other guys. He cannot be rushed. He cannot be brought out of his, tem- his natural tempo. I haven't seen anybody do it to him. He, has the t- he dictates tempo better than any other player in the league. I don't see another guy doing it that way.
2: You can't speed him up. I'm still on the Giannis trend. I just don't know who stops him. I mean, obviously, yeah, he was stopped this year by Boston, barely. I would say the Bucks were stopped, not Giannis. He still dropped, what, 40 and 20 or something he's crazy pretty, like he's that? He's pretty damn great. So I'm still on Giannis, KD. They're still, in my heart, the best offensive guys. But Luka Doncic is definitely up there.
1: But those guys, first of all, I don't know how old... Giannis is—is is he 28, 29, something like that in that area now? And Durant's older than that; he's 31, I think. I mean, for you, it's hard to compare a guy who's 23 with these guys that are pushing 30. I just think that that's what—that's part of what makes Luka Doncic so extraordinary. I think he's going to be a handful for Golden State. I don't know. I would agree with you on this. Giannis has the greatest, you know, people talk about wingspan. He's got the greatest leg span. I mean, when he takes one step, he goes so far with that. It's really quite remarkable. I mean, he people used to talk about guys that can get with one step to the basket from the foul line. Giannis can get there from the top of the key maybe a half a step beyond top of the key. It's crazy how far he goes, and he gets there fast. And the, so he, he's his movement, I think, is superior to anybody else in the NBA.
2: And then talking about age range, because you're talking about with the three guys we're talking about, Luca, 23, Kevin Durant is 33. So there's 10 years no. See, between I those he was guys.
1: like 31, but I guess I forgot to add. Giannis is
2: you. 27. That's all. 27. I think I said Giannis nine, only has yeah. four years on Luca. But that, but that's that a pivotal, seems cr- that that's seems crazy four, in my in that's my head. A
1: pivotal four years, though.
2: It is, and he's been in the league since 2013.
1: Wow, that's really something. Because I, I think he was years.
2: he was drafted in the 2013 NBA draft. At thirteenth overall, so he because that was part of that really disappointing. He was, was like a,
1: seventeen when he was drafted, must 18, have been, I, and eighteen when he started playing in the
2: league. He I must guess. have been because I remember especially earlier because that was when the Bucks were really bad, where they had like right. Ken, was this like Marshall as a point guard and like their best player was Larry Sanders. Wow, that's really
1: going back a ways. Let me ask you: May know the answer to this? I don't. So every time I'm watching the huddles with the Milwaukee Bucks, I'm seeing Giannis's brother, who apparently is going to be re-signed by the club. I am like, is that like, is he a guy that's there because his brother's a star and this is to keep him happy? Or is he a guy that actually has some skills and can play in the NBA eventually? Do you know? I have no idea. I haven't heard anyone weigh in on
2: that. So, Tenasis, I don't know a lot about his skill set. I know that he is like Giannis Antetokounmpo if you, like, spent probably a dollar. But I think he's there as your locker room guy because I think that's really valuable in the NBA where you just have the guy on the bench that rides it and you're there to, you know, Make sure everyone's having a good time, and with Giannis, is that his job. It could be his job. I mean, he comes off the bench from time to time to do something, but I think he's there because Giannis is there, but not because like he's only good because Giannis is good. It's more of a Tanasis is there to help keep Giannis in Milwaukee. I feel like.
1: All right. Well, that's fair enough. I mean, I think let, let, Giannis is so good that if you have to pay a guy a million a year to keep Giannis in Milwaukee, it's worth it. I, I mean, that's my thinking, because what's he going to be worth? What is Giannis? I mean, what's a million for Thanassis or two million, whatever they're going to pay him? Because it's going to be well worth it. Sen? Oh, hi, Sen. How are you? Oh, my guy. All right. So,
5: I, have, me and my friends are talking about Embiid and Giannis and stuff. Yeah, And I had the feeling that Giannis was, he's just like, he's a freak athlete that just happens to play basketball. And like, imagine him playing, you know, center or, uh, not center, but the, the middle for the basketball, for the volleyball team. You'd be a freak doing that too, yeah. right? Or soccer Whereas, like, even. Can, oh, yeah, you, soccer,
1: imagine, can athlete, you imagine, can you imagine Giannis as a soccer goalie? How do you get something by him? Yeah, you can, right? Because he's a freak athlete. He's going to. Yeah. Do anything he wants,
5: but he just happens to pick basketball, which is awesome because he's gonna make a lot of money and worldwide, you know, fame recognition. Yeah. But then he like, there's actual like I don't see that many of the basketball basketball players. Like Larry Bird was a basketball player. That's what he did, you yeah. know, his whole life. You know, and then, but I think Andre Iguodala is a good good examiner, Like he knows every little aspect about basketball. You know, and sure, then, Draymond. I, I think you
1: could say the same up. thing about Draymond Green. I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. He's one of those guys yeah, that studies offenses and he knows where everybody's going before they get there. And, you know, yeah, they're, they're yeah, those guys. A, yeah, that's a
5: basketball, basketball player, where right? some of the other guys are just freak athletes that just happen to pick, pick, uh, pick basketball, you know? So I think that in today's, like, oh, who's the top guy? Like, I don't know. Like, oh, like Duran, he's a, he's a baller. He's a straight-up baller. Yeah. He, that's all he does since he was little, for sure. But the guys
1: we're talking about now, i like, yeah, I don't know. You know like, Embiid, nah, I don't know. I could see him, you know. You wouldn't say Joel Embiid <laughs> yeah, no. is a magical athlete. No, i no, I'd say athlete. he's a good yeah. athlete, but he's yeah. not a yeah. magical athlete the way Giannis is. I would right, say right. Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant take that pair. Those guys, they were great basketball players, but they were terrific athletes. Yes, but
5: in, in extreme competitors, too, right? Like yeah. They don't want to lose. They don't, they, you know, they're, like Kobe has messed up fingers, right? <laughs> He'd rather get messed up fingers and keep playing than you know, and come out, right? No question. I want to win. Yep. Yeah.
1: No, I think so, that's an interesting that's- distinction because when you look at a guy like Luka Doncic, now he's what you would call a basketball player. He's right, been playing right, right. basketball. He's been playing as a pro since he was 13. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, they don't. They wouldn't allow no, that no. in the United
5: States. No, 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 no. He'd go to college and be like, nope. He's in the whole deal.
1: Man. Right. He was. he been. He went. He was playing professionally before most guys go to high school. Right. How right, crazy right. is that? No. But 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 I see yeah. what you're saying. Because when if you put Giannis as that lead guy on the athletes list, I would say Luka Doncic might be the lead guy on the basketball list,
2: because yeah, he's go, a that's, just that's a pure basketball player. Was. Yeah,
1: I hear yeah, you. Exactly. I think that's, it's. I think yeah. you've nailed it. Uh, you've laid that out pretty well. Thank you for the call. It's ten minutes past eight o'clock. If you have something, uh, go ahead. Two nine six fourteen twenty. Yeah, you know, I've never. It's funny because I was talking with you about it. I couldn't have told you how to pronounce the NASAs. I I didn't even know what his background is. I mean, I, I, he's in a uniform, obviously. So he's a member of the team. They, he's one of their guys that needs to be re-signed this year, and I don't think there's any doubt they're going to re-sign him. Now, I don't know what the minimum is or how long he's been around, but I'm guessing they're going to pay him a couple of million bucks, I would think. I mean, in that family, is the money important? Because I don't know what Giannis makes, but whatever, you know, he's got to make $30 million a year at least and more coming. But I just think, you know, Thanasis is, uh, he's, you talk about being in a great place. Thanasis, why wouldn't Thanassus be the happiest guy in Milwaukee? He should be. He's got a great, incredible uh, deal there. As long as his brother stays He's set. He's going to have a spot on the roster. I don't know, and it's unfair because I've never seen him really play. I don't know if he can play or not. Is he? Does he have the skills set to be an NBA player? Maybe. I don't really know. You certainly think that in that family, it's, it'd be unlikely that one guy's such a great athlete and the other guy isn't athletic at all. I would think he probably has some athletic ability himself. You would just come to think of that 12 minutes past eight o'clock go ahead if you have a, a question or a comment i don't know but the thing i would ask if i was a coach i'd say it is does, uh, does luca have any brothers <laughs> by the by the way because that guy at six foot eight is smooth you know what's and i just had this thought because i remember watching patrick ewing with the knicks and, and this is back in the day. I remember thinking, you know, the difference between some of these guys, there's a lot of guys that are 7 feet, 6'11". They are, you know, they're well fairly well put together. But here's what separates them. A guy like Patrick Ewing, the difference between him and a lot of other guys in, of his ilk when he played is he could shoot the lights out of the thing. Patrick Ewing was a terrific shooter. Well, what separates... Luka Doncic, I think part of what separates him is that he's an incredible shooter. Larry Bird was an incredible shooter. This is really where it starts, I think, for some of these guys. Their shooting skills are so good. Now, you get to the guards, and it's even crazier because I think the best shooter that ever played is Steph Curry. That's my opinion. But there's other guys who are, there's guys in the league that are close. I mean, you couldn't say Dame Lillard's not close to being that kind of a shooter. I mean, he's pretty, and he's got great range, too. I think mean, Clay Thompson's a great shooter. I'll tell you who's not, Seth Curry's a pretty good shooter. There, I mean, a lot of times what separates these guys is an uncanny ability to put the ball in the basket. I just think that's how it is. I think it's been ever thus, but it's certainly it's certainly true. And with the guys who are forwards, I mean you wanna know what the difference is between something they say, wow, he's six seven, he can run the floor and blah, 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 he grabs rebound. How does he shoot it? Because if you wanna be in the NBA, you can see this. You watch a college game and then watch an NBA game and one of the huge differences is the quality of the shooting. It's no question it's a separator. I mean, I think it's always been that way, but it's even more true now than it's ever been before. There was a big guy; some people will remember him if you're of a certain generation. And he played for several teams. But Mel Counts—anybody remember Mel Counts? He was like a seven-foot-one guy, and I can remember him taking these corner, corner jump shots. He was a really good—wasn't a particularly athletic guy, and he wasn't a great rebounder, but he could shoot it. And at 7-1, no one was dropped. No one was blocking that shot. He was getting it off all day long. It's coming up on 15 minutes past the hour. Let's take a quick timeout right back on ESPN Honolulu. The Bobby
0: Curran Show is brought to you by PVT Land Company, supporting academics, athletics, and the community on the Waianae Coast.
1: For the ride uh, today, we got somebody who wants to talk with us about a little basketball. Alan's on the line. What's up, Alan?
6: Hey, Bobby. Hey, I gotta say, good to have you back. I'm glad your voice is strong Thank and you. Uh, vibrant. Cool, <laughs> and uh, I agree with all your colleagues. This NBA uh, playoff season has been amazing. Uh, I've never seen so many stars emerging and, and playing at a high level. With, Me either, I first, totally I right there, yeah.
1: there with you on that one. It's but, been the best uh, it's been.
6: Yeah, terrific. Yeah. But, and, and, you know, the, I, I agree. Those Some of those Game 7s are uh, unbelievable. On the other hand, that's just part of the wildness that we've been seeing all year, whether it's NFL, NBA. It's just something's different.
1: I have to I, say, I have the, this. the NBA, though, that Game 7 at Phoenix, <laughs> I just think that's an that outlier is. because we just don't see a home team Soil the sheets like yeah. that. That was that, that's just like, amazing. That's like,
6: everybody, that's like everybody not stepping up and then giving up before you yep. even fight four quarters. I mean think of they, this they stat. never fought back.
1: Let me give you this one. I think this is one of the most amazing stats I've ever encountered. Chris Paul didn't score his first basket till they were down forty.
6: Uh and think not in that. the first half. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, crazy, and two nuts. stars like that. that that's crazy. I mean, it really is. Five minutes into the game, you're supposed to get pissed off and just take charge.
1: No doubt. Who's your team in the NBA? <laughs> Do you have one?
6: Uh, I Well,
1: same as you and uh, Gary.
6: I, I've been a longtime Knicks fan, and uh, we just need some good management.
1: <laughs> we really need management. I actually have been off the Knicks for a while just because of how poorly they've been managed, yeah. and I can't stand the owner. I just think he's a waste case. And then I have gradually moved, and because I really love their style of play, and I like the way the front office works, is the Golden State Warriors. I love watching them.
5: Oh, yeah.
1: I, I, I hate ISO ball. I love them ball movement. And if there's nobody in the NBA that moves the ball around like Golden State does.
6: And uh, this, this, this harkens back to one of our favorite subjects, UH basketball. Yes, Last year was the first time I saw the ball moving like that, the way the Golden State Warriors move it. And there were some games where other fans were saying, I've never seen Hawaii play like this. And I actually
1: can't wait for this year because <laughs> I do think that the best point guard we've had since Rod Bobbitt, is juan munoz and i think people are gonna fall in love with this guy not only does he shoot it like it's on a string he's by he's far and away the best shooter on the team not only that but he is a terrific passer he's probably as good an on-ball defender it's probably between him and noel coleman and then Samuta there is is bigger, stronger. I mean, more explosive than he's ever. This is going to be a really good if they stay healthy, and that's always you got to yep, say yep. that. But this is going to be if oh my God, if they could only get Jerome back, because uh, he's if just Jerome back. He's just a, a he's dunk. a solid. Just such a solid piece. I apparently no one's pursuing that. No one from the Ivy Leagues is taking on the NCAA. Jay Billis says they win. I think.
6: I think the truth about the NCAA is even if you do something, they'll just sit on it the way they did on the. Well, Ivy they League. would
1: try, but that's why you drag them into yeah. court.
6: And you got to get it done the next three four months.
1: Exactly. That's the problem.
6: <laughs> no, this is unusual because after all those years, you and I, you know, watched Riley and and. And players not stepping up as as first-year guys. This is real different because guys like DeRozier do come in and make a difference.
1: Well, he was also that people. I mean, just I'm not disagreeing with you, but this is a grad transfer. (laughs) This is a guy that's already graduated from Princeton. This is a man, (laughs) smart and and a smart man. You're (laughs) absolutely right, and a really, really good guy. He's, you know, he talking to him. He speaks several languages. He's curious. He's a curious yeah. person, so he'll sometimes bring up a topic. It was in one of his classes or something. Mm-hmm. Leads to unbelievable discussions just sitting around a hotel lobby. The guy is
6: well versed on all.
1: Yes, he's, a special but, but he's you, a special. but you know cat. that's
6: you know that's a trend of this staff. That they they're going after players like that. It's great. Have I, I, uh, basketball IQ, the smarts.
1: Yep, I was talking to someone so, the other day. So they now, they're down on they're a little down on the staff. They don't they they think Iran's just a, a placeholder, and I couldn't disagree more. I think well, Iran's I, really I, the, is, re-
6: recruiting staff is something I expect Iran to be able to do. Yeah, you know, over over the period of two three years too. But but here's the part you you weren't you weren't up to uh, your full voice. So I never heard anybody doing a real good talk on on this recruiting class because I think. You know, Derosier came in tough. This freshman, Ruhulia, def, I'm thinking he's like uh, six nine. You, you're talking
1: about the kid that's going to be the Jack Purchase type.
6: Yeah, the Jack Purchase, except, except, um, you know, Mate is going off to play pro rugby. This right. guy already played pro rugby. He's coming in with some level of toughness.
1: That's interesting, isn't it?
6: <laughs> and and then he's going to play every day against uh, you know the guys we got and. and And more sick, the seven-footer. Yeah, I'm guessing you've seen those videos.
1: I I have only seen one very brief clip, so I I don't feel qualified to give you the complete lowdown. I will see him as soon as he gets here. I mean, we we don't
6: have a. we, We haven't had a lot of recruits where you just type in. His first name, and you get halfway through your second name, and all of a sudden, five videos show up. Yeah, That's thats the yes. And, and I'm hearing and great things. though. Awesome. Everybody
1: loves the guy; they think he's going to be terrific. And then they got a six-five guard, so yep. you got to like uh, that graduate too. Graduate guard, yep. yes. Yep. So I mean, I'm excited about it. I think the team will be terrific. <clears throat> I, like I said, if Jerome was back, I would have no doubts that this team. Is going to win the Big West and go to the NCAA. I'm still hopeful that that'll happen.
6: I, I'm sure they're in the top two because yeah. you know we never we never know what Beach does because they bring in all these. Uh, well, and you never and
1: even all. know where they're coming from.
6: <laughs> yeah, and you.
1: would <laughs> right. like to love to know have <laughs> these guys actually been in college already with transcripts and grades and everything. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm just yeah, well. And all their
6: freshmen are undeclared. They don't know what they're going to do in school because I think half of them think they're one and done.
1: Right. Well, that's, that's <laughs> epidemic in college basketball. I got to tell you. Hey, thank you for the call. I got. I have to run. Uh, we'll look forward to seeing you in the stands next year. 26 minutes past. If you have something you want to talk about, we're going to have Jay Jaffe from FanGraphs on with us in a second. This is baseball season. Starting out tremendously. Now, you could argue this, certainly, but I had someone who told me the other night, this is the best New York Yankee team they've ever seen. Now, and this is not a youngster. This is somebody that's got, they're in their seventh decade, so they've been around a bit. Um, How about that? The best Yankee team they've ever seen. Let's take a quick timeout. Back with Jay Jaffe from Fangraphs after this on The Bobby Curran Show, ESPN, Honolulu. The Bobby
0: Curran Show is brought to you by M. Dyer Global. Here for your moving and storage needs, visit mdyerglobal.com.
1: Welcome back on this Tuesday. We had so many things going on from the start of the baseball season. I think a lot of people were gratified that we got, look, we're getting a full season in. But then there was the controversy with the different balls and the thing dying on the warning track and a paucity of home runs. And But now we're starting to see some teams just play extraordinary baseball. I wanted to welcome Jay Jaffe from Fangraphs, who is with us now. Jay, I had someone tell me yesterday that the, this is the best New York Yankee team they've ever seen. And this is a person that's pushing 70. That's quite remarkable. But I looked at the, I'm thinking, well, they are 26-9. and nine. They, they may be playing the best baseball right now of any major league team. What's your thought on what you've seen so far from the Yankees?
3: Yeah, they, they're off to an impressive start, and uh, you know, for critics like me who who didn't think that they had a particularly impressive offseason, uh, it's a bit of a surprise. But it just sh- goes to show you, you know, when you've got uh, the big guns uh, clicking, like the way Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton is right now are right now, um, and Anthony Rizzo, who's turned out to be uh, uh, a much better free agent signing than I expected. Um, you know, this team can go a long way, I think, and. Um, you know, I don't think this bullpen is up to the standard of uh, some of the recent bullpens that they've had. Um, you know, when they had Zach Britton and uh, 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 Dylan Betasis, but uh, this is this is still. Uh, you know, they've become the team to beat in the AL East very quickly here.
1: Well, I mean, already they got a five and a half game lead off a pretty decent uh, Tampa Bay team. Usually, if you're playing. 583 baseball you won't be five and a half games back at this stage that's interesting uh what's what also interests me is like that their best pitcher right now is nelson cortez what's going on with that
3: uh, cortez is just you know he has uh he's just a, you know an exceptional pitcher that who you know who was basically bootstrapped his way up from being uh, a guy who was more or less waiver bait um he has uh, some, you know, comes at, comes at hitter with, hitters with some uh, difficult angles and uh, is very uh, well versed in using the analytics. And uh, the guy's got almost a five to one strikeout to walk ratio. This is not smoke and mirrors. Uh, this is a guy who really knows how to pitch. Uh,
1: I mean, with the other guys that they have, they got Garrett Cole, I mean, Severino at his best. Is a very very good player. What, what's your thought on how sustainable this deal is with the Yankees? Well, this, you know these are they have quality
3: starting pitchers. I mean, last year there was a lot of uncertainty as to whether uh, so many guys who had such long layoffs like Severino and Tyone uh, could uh, could deliver for them, and unfortunately, they they really couldn't. Uh, uh, the rotation was kind of a mess, but this year they're, you know, they're, they're healthier. Um, the new pitching coach, new pitching coach Matt Blake uh, they're working well with him. Uh, this is a team that's, that's, you know, blending analytics and traditional scouting uh, as well as just about anyone. And they've got some, uh, some pitchers with some just really unhittable stuff in there. It's
1: a, it's a smart team. I wanted to get, and this is uh, New Yorkers, of course, in your neck of the woods, are always hoping for a Subway series. I think it's something that New Yorkers love and the rest of the country dreads. But I don't know if you mm-hmm. could rule it out at this point because the New York Mets are pretty good.
3: Yeah, look, they're both they're both playing excellent ball right now. The Mets have uh, uh, unfortunately had to weather some injuries in their rotation. They've uh, been able to, to uh, weather the loss of uh, Jacob DeGrom to a stress reaction in his scapula. But uh, losing Tyler McGill to the uh, – uh, to the injured list uh, is a bit of a blow. He had been pitching pretty well uh, until lately, uh, but this is a much deeper team than we're used to seeing the recent Mets uh, put forth. Um, they've, they've got uh, more pitching than they've had before. I mean, going out and getting Max Scherzer as a as a co ace was uh, uh, a stroke of genius. Cutting Robinson Cano when it was clear he couldn't really give them much uh, was a very un Mets like move. The, the Wilfond regime would have. Uh, uh, carry him and probably lost somebody else of value uh, just because of, uh, you know the embarrassment the of, c- yeah. of cutting a player with 40 yeah 40 million dollars remaining or whatever um, you know so this is a very competitive team now the problem i think in the end uh, for those who are prognosticating a subway series is that the, you know the 12 team uh, playoff field is going to make it very hard for the best teams uh, to rise to the top every time you add two more teams you increase the odds of of uh, Uh, An upset, and, uh, um, you know, it's the postseason, as I like to say, it's a tournament. It's not uh, designed to crown the best team as champion. It is designed to crown a champion um, that may be somebody who was a long shot entering the postseason.
1: Well, maybe that will give hope to all of those that are hoping that the Los Angeles Angels will finally get to showcase both Mike Trout and Shohei Ohtani. Uh, there's others as well. I don't want to leave Anthony Rendon out, or I mean that other guys you'd love to see in the postseason. In Rendon's case, it would be again, but I, I just think that would be sensational. I I know Houston is in first, although marginally, it's percentage points at this at this juncture today, but I'd love to see the Angels and those guys in the postseason.
3: Yeah, I I think it would be great to you know to have uh, to have the Angels in the postseason to showcase those guys because they're you know Trout and Otani are just two of the best baseball players on the planet and they've got uh, uh, several other very good ones like you said Rendon who's uh, you know kind of kind of struggled a bit so far but at least he's uh, he's healthy compared to last year Jared Walsh is very good Uh, Brandon Marsh is very good Um, you know the rotation has. uh, uh, it's a lot more impressive than it was last year. We saw Reed Detmers throw that no-hitter uh, last week. Uh, Noah Syndergaard is, uh, is is back, and uh, uh, if not necessarily the same type of pitcher as he was in New York, he's still doing uh, uh, some pretty good stuff. And uh, uh, yeah, this is a this is a promising team, and, and suddenly looking like uh, uh, one that at least uh, is going to make the playoffs and 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 break Mike Trout's streak of. Uh, uh, watching uh, the postseason from his couch.
1: Let me ask you about other teams that that in your mind have really gotten out uh, and playing well this here early in the season. Who else are you liking?
3: Well, let's see. I mean, uh, the Padres have really rebounded from uh, from a, a very tough year. Uh, obviously, the, the Giants are still quite good. That looks like a three team race in the NL West and even the Diamondbacks and Rockies are playing 500 ish ball. Uh, the Brewers are a very strong team, and uh, they're the class of the NL Central. Um, I don't know what's up with the with the NL East. Uh, four of those teams below five hundred. Everybody besides the Mets. I expected the Phillies and Braves to be stronger, uh, but uh, um, yeah, that that that's not the case. But uh, um, you know, it's it's nice to see some of these some of these teams that we haven't seen uh, winning so often uh, step forward, like like the Angels and. Uh, um, I look forward to seeing what
1: else we get. Hey, you know, the Twins are playing pretty decent baseball. Yeah,
4: yeah, the Twins are, and and I, I you know, I like I like what they did this off going out and
3: getting Carlos Correa when it, when you know he couldn't find a, a fit, um, you know, for a long term deal. It's wonderful seeing Byron Buxton show the world what he can do because that guy. Uh, you know, he just he, he can't stay healthy for long enough. But when he's uh, when he is healthy, he's he's just uh, as good a player as anybody. Um yeah, we've got some other some some other uh, exciting young players here. Nick Gordon uh, is, is looking good, and I think that uh, um, the trade with the Yankees to get uh, Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela is paying off. So uh, this is a, this is a good team. Oh, let, Joe Ryan, the, the, the starter is, is is another is another very good one.
1: Let let me get your thought on this because there was a lot of uh, hand wringing about Major League Baseball admits to having changed the baseball uh, somewhat. Uh, was that to cut down? Was that primarily to cut down on home runs?
3: Oh boy, you know the the um, base, Major League Baseball has searched for a way. Uh, I think to uh, to to work with, you know to to rebalance the, the the uh the balance between pitching and offense uh and also to reduce the need for pitchers to use sticky stuff uh to get a better grip on the baseball and in doing that they have uh made quite a mess of things uh over the last few years and um the result is they don't have a whole lot of credibility when it comes to the, uh, the construction of the baseball which they now uh uh, have a stake in via their 25% ownership of Rawlings. I mean, there's uh, a lack of transparency, and while their you know, their stories haven't checked out, such as, uh, uh, you know, last year they uh, they had two different specifications for the ball that, that, that was being used. They said they ran short of the newer debtor baseball and, and have uh, uh, brought back the old one, but uh, um, it looks like that was in parallel rather than uh, running out uh, of stock based on uh, – uh, the reporting of, of uh, Bradford Davis and Meredith Wills. And uh, uh, I don't know how much we can trust what Rob Manford says about the ball at this point.
1: You know, and that's a horrible thing to have to admit that we can't trust the guy who's in charge.
4: Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that Manfred has, has, he's, uh,
3: uh, adapted doing the owner's bidding when it comes to, um, you know, battling the players union, but, uh, uh, in terms of public credibility, he is not a very good salesman for 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 the product, and uh, uh, you know this is just one of of, of several examples in, in which that's proven true.
1: You know, I, it's funny because you look around at the other you know professional leagues. I, I think you know Adam Silver has done a really good job of walking that line. He's not afraid if he has to bring an owner back into the fold, he will. I mean, it's like I get that these commissioners work for the owners, but there's some handle that better than others.
5: Yeah, I mean, the
3: NBA. I mean, Adam Silver and David Stern, I think, are, are kind of the model. They're just much more much more successful uh, at selling the product of, uh, uh, and, you know, than baseball in that regard.
1: And, and you just wish. I mean, I think for baseball, it's imperative that that the commissioner has some credibility with the general public, and that's missing right now, frankly.
0: Yeah,
3: it it is, Um, and the owners don't care. They they really don't. As long as they're making money, and they are making money hand over fist, uh, they just uh, uh, can't be bothered to care about uh, uh, how it all looks.
1: Let me me get to this. There's a couple of – who are your – votes for the outstanding pitchers i know it's early days we're still bef- well before the all star break but who are the pitchers you're keeping your eye on
3: hmm, that's a good question here uh let me think about it for a moment here um you kind of caught me flat-footed here i mean i, I think um, you know kevin Gausman of toronto is, is definitely one of them he's been he's been exceptional um Kyle Wright of the Braves has turned out to be a, a very a very good uh, pitcher, former first-round pick who kind of flopped his first few trials. Um, obviously, Shohei Otani. Uh, the Dinovac, Zach Gallant, who I wrote about a bit today, uh, has been exceptional. Nestor Cortez, the Yankees guy we just talked about. Uh, it's been really good to see Justin Verlander uh, back in form after missing uh, almost two full seasons. Season How Ohtani old
1: Johnson. is Verlander? What is he, 38? <laughs>
3: I think he's 38 or 39. Uh, let me check that. 39.
1: Yeah, Jeez, Louise! Uh, it's uh, incredible what he's, he's doing.
3: Off to a great start. Yeah, it, it is. He's not missing bats to the same extent that he that he uh, uh, did before. But if you told me that uh, uh, at the quarter mark of the season or the uh, or, or whatever, seven starts into his season, that he's pitching this well, I'd have, I'd have taken that in a heartbeat.
1: No, I hear you. And you mentioned Zach Gallon. I think he's worth talking about because. I know. According to Zach Gallon himself, he's got a chip on his shoulder. He's been sort of, from his days in high school to North Carolina, he's always been sort of, uh, in his mind, disrespected. Boy, has he put it together!
3: Yeah, he really has. And and the um, uh, when I wrote about the Diamondbacks today, one of the big factors there, not just for Gallon but for that entire rotation, is as the uh, uh, impact Brent Strong, who came over after more or less retiring. Uh, at the end of last season, after eight years with the Astros, um, he has uh, done a great job of blending analytics and, and traditional coaching methods, and uh, uh, he's gotten the uh, the Diamondbacks uh, throwing more secondary stuff, fewer fastballs, and when they do throw those fastballs, uh, working upstairs more often in areas that uh, uh, hitters really have trouble with, and it's really made a big difference. I mean, the Diamondbacks were uh, the worst at preventing runs last year in the National League, and now they're among the best.
1: Which is what I guess any pitching coach wants to have said about him. That, that's fabulous. Oh,
3: absolutely. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's an impressive turnaround so far.
1: Okay, let me get to this. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I keep hearing Gabe Kapler is an unusual manager. When people talk about that, what do they mean exactly? What makes him different from your run-of-the-mill manager? Well, I think, you know, I think he's, he's
3: open to more unorthodox methods. Um, and, and the Giants, I think, are, are very good at communicating between their front office and, and their coaching staff. Uh, they've got the largest coaching staff in the majors. I believe that's the case. They've just, they have gotten, um, you know, they've, they've fully bought into the analytics, uh, uh, uses of analytics in ways that, that other teams are, are still, you know, catching up to. And Kapler is, is a guy who understands that stuff. And who is was open-minded about that stuff. And uh, it's really paid off. I mean, you know, we saw the giants last year, they had so many hitters having career years. And it was because of, uh, uh, you know, new, new hitting philosophy uh, and uh, veterans who were open to, to changing uh, what had worked for them in the past. And it really, you know, it helps to have a manager who's, who's that open-minded about things because, uh, that's the guy that the veterans are all looking to, and, and uh, he's able to communicate that stuff uh, with them, uh, you know, without uh, uh, the stuff seeming to be so, you know, just so completely
4: radical.
1: Which is, I think, being able, and again, because you talked about salesmanship in terms of commissioners, but I think it's also uh, it's an incredibly important part of a manager's job. It's got to be able, you know, you might want to go analytics and heavily, and you have an approach but you got to sell it to the players, don't you?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and, and so much of the job today has more to do with in the interface, uh between, you know, with the players uh, and you know, and, and the media than it does with uh, you know strategic X's and O's. And that's and and he has uh, uh, he has fully embraced that.
1: Well, this is you mentioned it's a decent Giants game, but they but they could be third in their in their division
4: yeah i expect
3: i expect we haven't seen uh the best of that giants team yet they've uh, they've had a couple injuries here that have held them back but uh, i think they and the padres and the dodgers are going to be battling for the top of the nl west all summer
1: it's something i am going to look forward to jay always enjoy talking with you always interesting thank you so much for the time
3: all right sure thing take
1: care jay jaffe from fangraphs and uh, always has some interesting tidbits for us. We're going to take a quick time out. We'll be right back on The Bobby Curran Show, ESPN, Honolulu.
0: You're listening to The Bobby Curran Show on ESPN, Honolulu. Text or call the show at 296-1420.
1: Welcome back to our Tuesday edition of the program. Had a really interesting time today, starting with Kurt Heelan from NBC Sports on the NBA. I mean, he's with me on this one. And I think, I don't know how many others, that just felt like you couldn't explain, if you live to be 100, what happened to the Phoenix Suns in Game 7 against the Mavs. I, I just, an unbelievable collective failure. The only guy that I don't really hold responsible because I could see he was as mystified as anybody is Monty Williams. I'm not really going to blame him for that because when you have as many players as the Suns did come out flat, I'm not sure you can blame the coach on that one. I know people always say, well, who else are you going to blame? Well, I think maybe you have to get beyond blame and then you have to figure out what the source of the problem was and how you fix it. I do think we're going to see some changes on that roster. I don't expect to see DeAndre Ayton in a Phoenix Suns uniform again. That's just my take on it. I think there's too many teams that are willing to give him a max. I don't think Phoenix is. And so he'll go somewhere else. And uh, that's where he'll peddle uh, his services. I think that he's going to go higher as better. We have got to talk a little bit about a couple of the other things. Our second guest today was Shane McNichol from Palestra back. I found it fascinating that he doesn't have a lot of concerns about Chet Holmgren going number one. He just believes it's more likely than not that they will find a way, because there's been a history of it in the NBA, they find a way of these guys who are crazy lean To get some weight on them where they can survive the rigors of an NBA season. I think Chet Holmgren's exceptional because he might be, I mean, his legs, he's thin all the way. I don't know what he, he couldn't weigh more than a buck ninety, does he, at seven feet? I mean, he's just so lean, it looks like he is in trouble when he goes up against the guy that has some meat on his bones. And, I'm told that maybe that won't be a problem. Well, it's going to be a wait-and-see thing. But I think Jabari Smith from Auburn, Paolo Bonquero from Duke, I think those guys are going to be solid NBA guys. They're going to be contributors immediately. Here's the issue. People don't realize this, but very seldom does a guy come into the league and start right away. I mean, if you're not... In the first four or five guys taken, there's very little chance you're going to be a starter in the NBA. Pretty much, I think many people are going to have to follow, I would say, the Jordan pool would be a good example of how it's going to go for you. You're going to get back and forth on two-way contracts. You'll be in the G League. You'll be up with the parent club. You Sometimes it's going to take two or three years before you're a regular in the lineups. And I think that's we're seeing that over and over again I, uh, in various teams. I just think it takes a little longer. It's the rare rookie that can come in and contribute right away. Good conversation with Shane McNichols from Palestra Back and Larry Brown Sports. And then most recently, Jay Jaffe, who, I mean, Jay's pretty upfront about saying Major League Baseball Has made a dog's breakfast out of this stuff with the balls and the controversy and the ownership of part ownership of Rawlings and the unwillingness to be transparent. I mean, basically, it it seems like this that Rob Manfred is a tool, just a tool of the owners. Crazy, though it may be. We are going to look forward to Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Finals, Boston and Miami. want to thank uh, Tanner Hayworth for all his good work today. I appreciate you. We came in. We walked in the building at the same time for the first time ever today. Uh, amazing. We are just about out of time. Uh, thanks to everyone who listened. For all of us, uh, from ESPN Honolulu, I'm Bobby Curran. Aloha.